Six days ago, the most expensive sports car transaction in history went down. A 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle PSA 9 sold for $5.2 million to Rob G. Well, today on the Slapstock Show, I'm honored to bring on Rob G as a guest to talk about why he bought the Mickey Mantle, how the transaction went down, and what it means for the sports car marketplace going forward. He details out how transactions like this will continue to build the sports car marketplace. He even sheds light on how we can keep the sports card hobby moving forward with the younger generation while continuing to build the industry with massive transactions like this. This interview and Rob G and this transaction will shape the sports car marketplace for the foreseeable future. I can't wait. I hope you all enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to the Slab Stocks podcast and YouTube show. My name is Aaron, your host, and today we have a very special interview. I'm privileged to be able to bring Rob G, the purchaser of the $5.2 million Mickey Mantle PSA 9 1952 Tops rookie card to the table for today's show. So, Rob, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, I guess. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, just first off, how are you feeling after that purchase? This initial first reaction, like getting that card in your hand, what's it like? Feels great, man. I mean, that's the card, you know, for me anyway. So to own it and uh, to have it, it's, it's incredible. I'm pumped. That's so cool. Yeah. And I just got I want some questions to talk about today here. So to give our audience a little bit of a look into, you know, how it went down maybe. But when did you first even start looking into sports cards as a possible investment? Have you collected them in the past? What just, how did that process kind of play out? I clicked as a kid, um, really loved it as a young guy and then uh, got out of it, you know, as I kept growing. And then I got back into it in August of 2020 and just started, uh, you know, got, got into it pretty heavy, pretty fast and just started pumping in and buying a lot. And, and, um, this particular Mickey Mantle card, obviously as a kid was the card that, you know, was the face of the hobby back then and still is today. So when I got back, I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta have the card. Um, so that's when I, I first bought my, you know, a PSA five of that card. Uh, I mean, I bought a bunch of other things first and then I decided to buy, you know, I just kind of chasing the game of what's going to go big. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to buy the stuff that I love and that I think is so iconic and cool. And that's when I bought the five. Yeah. So when did you, uh, like, what was your first initial purchase or what was the first market you really got into? Was it like looking into the vintage to start or were you more in the modern to start? And how did you start to gain some of the information? Because someone coming back in after being out of it for so long, like you probably, you know, it's it's a huge shakeup for anyone returning. Like, whoa, this is so different. You know, like how did that all start up? And what was your first market you really dived into? Yeah, I mean, I'm more of a vintage guy. Um, you know, I think, you know, but my portfolio is very diverse and just like a stock portfolio. So I do have the modern for the penny stock, but it's very small. Um, I do have vintage, but I've also diversified into, you know, baseball, basketball, football, um, a couple other things as well. But yeah, so I, I mainly do vintage, but I do have a few things that are more modern. Um, and then, you know, I dove in really fast. I've got, you know, a, a text group that I, you know, talk to a bunch of guys that, that collect and that I've got to know really well over the time. And, and uh, and then obviously diving in and talking to every expert as I'm buying cards and trying to find cards, you know, a 30 minute conversation turns into three hours, which is insane for my schedule to be able to, you know, to, to make that happen. But when you when you dive in, it just becomes so fun and addicting and 
Um, it's just such a great hobby. So I've just really dove in and, and dove in hard. Yeah. So, so you're here. This wasn't just a one-off purchase then. No, no, no. This, you know, I've been, I've been pumping pretty heavy, you know, since August. So what is that? Um, you know, several, several months. Mm -hmm. I know you said that the mantle was one of the first things you looked at, or at least that you really want to get at, because that was, you know, the cream of the crop. Was right. there something else for that big price tag, that million dollar price tag that you were considering? Or was it like, this is the card, it doesn't matter anything else out there? Or did you try to weigh options when looking at it? Yeah, of course. You know, you want to make sure you're infusing that kind of money into the right, the right card, the right portfolio. So, you know, I looked at maybe a hybrid of, of new versus vintage. That way, maybe you can get the upside um, and then, you know, the vintage play more safe. I definitely looked at a lot of different options. Um, at the end of the day, you know, this card has little downside in my eyes. You know, it, it's it's like a piece of art. Um, and it's just so iconic that, you know, I don't see it ever going down. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not going to go 10x like um, a, a new card would be. And, you know, the returns would be maybe better if I went that route. But for me, this was the best route. I think this card highly undervalued because if you look at other iconic cards, they've all 10x, more than 10x. I mean, look at LeBron James Tops Chrome. It was a thousand bucks in October and now it's selling for 27,000 bucks. It's, it's, right. um, the, the run-up has been insane. Same with Jordan, you know, it was high teens and now it's 220 or whatever. Um, Gretzky, Jackie Robinson, all these guys have had, you know, a 10x multiplier in a, in a short period of time. And, and this card being the most iconic um, and, you know, essentially to face the hobby for however long, it, it didn't have that 10x. So I saw a massive opportunity um, from a value standpoint. Plus, for me, it's, it's art. You know, it's the fourth best Mickey Mantle in the world. Um, arguably even, even higher than maybe a, one or two of the 10s. So it just made so much sense in my eyes. And to be able to even source the card and to be able to have the opportunity to buy it, I, there's not, no way I could have turned that down. So that was my next question. You said argu arguably better than one of the two other 10s. So there's three PSA 10s in existence right now in the pop report. You have one of the nines. What to Talk to me about the grade. When you got the card and you saw it in hand, when you saw it on pictures, like, do you see this as, you know, a possible 10? Like, and obviously there's a lot of subjectivity that goes between the nines and 10s sometimes, but like talk about the card itself. What do you see are maybe the potential defects that kept it from a 10? And can that be even overturned at some point? You know, I'm definitely not a professional grader. Um, you know, PWCC has gone publicly saying this is the, the best nine uh, in existence. You know, they've also stated that, you know, the grading company has also said it's the best. Um, you know, I don't know. When, when I posted, I got a lot of people that said some of the 10s were altered or, you know, who knows, you know. But um, I'm just happy that I've got such a beautiful card in person. It looks better than I saw in pictures um you know i would love to add a 10 to my collection and i think those three guys that own it are uh, are legends and it's such a you know they saw the future before and they, they were able to pick those up a while ago and i'd be honored to meet them one day and to see those cars in person but i'm just happy that i got the nine and the, the card is gorgeous absolutely absolutely that's all you can ask for right to be happy with your purchase and just really be excited about it. it's awesome to hear um, in, in terms of the deal and how it went down, how did you like go about this? Did you contact PWCC like, hey, 
this is a list of cards I'm looking to get. Like, let me know if anyone ever comes forward with these cards or did you do a lot of legwork yourself? How did that go down? You know, I'm, I'm pretty aggressive, you know, so I've got several, several people hunting um, for the rarest things and for undervalued assets. And, um, you know, after pushing and pushing, finally, um, you know, something came to surface. And that was, um, you know, I was working with uh, Jesse at PWCC for a while and trying to just shake something loose and, and do a big deal and, and buy something incredible um, and find this card. And, and uh, you know, the, the problem with that Mickey Mantle card, it's in, they're all in strong hands. I mean, I tried to buy a lot. I mean, I've got a four or five and eight. I had a six. I, I gave it to, or I sold it to a good friend, Steve Aoki. And, you know, I, I've, uh, I, I was trying to buy a lot of these. I'd like to, to complete every PSA grade. But, you know, these things are not like a Zion where, you know, it's flippers and people are just trying to make a quick buck. These are in strong hands. And that to me show that it's a strong card and it's more than a card. It's art and, and different things. But um, so we just kept pushing. And finally, you know, Jesse said, hey, I've got the best nine in, in existence at our vault. And uh, I don't think it's going to be for sale, but we can give it a shot. Because I said, you know, you, you miss everything unless you go for it. Yeah. So did you, did you pretty much get in contact with, obviously you say you got in contact with Jesse, but then did Jesse go towards the, the owner of Vans? Like, Hey, we got a really strong offer here. You know, let's see if you, do you want to work a deal? Cause he said at first that probably won't be for sale. And obviously saying the all time record, that's something that you can't replace. You know, it's not something that money can buy is the headline of all time sports card sale record. So who wouldn't want to go for that? Yeah. You know, I don't think I, I bought it for the record. I bought it because it's such an iconic card. It's, um, you know, it's the Mona Lisa of cards, you know, it's that priceless piece of art. And so I went for it because it's some, there's only, you know, there's only a few of them. And so Absolutely. That's why I bought it. Absolutely. That's awesome to hear that, you know, buying it for actually wanting it and loving it instead of the attention that comes with it. That's really great. And obviously a lot of attention's coming to it because of it which helps further the sports card market and everything. Yeah. So that's obviously amazing as well. Any new people we can get involved, we love to have them stay and teach them and help them get their hands on cards and learn the nitty gritty. So that's really cool. Um, in terms of, you know, maybe your next plan, I'm not asking you for to say exactly what card you're going after next, but you know, are you looking at something in the basketball market that might be equivalent to the mantle, not in value or not in like, the most recognizable card of all time, but like, what, what do you think in the basketball card market is an equivalent that you value in the same way, like art, like something that is stronghold in people's PCs? I mean, I think there's different plays in basketball. It's, it's definitely been pumped recently and, and gone. The prices have gone skyrocket. You know, I've, I've got a, a couple PSA 10 Jordan rookies um, that Obviously, those numbers have, have gone nuts, and I, I think they'll continue to go nuts. If you look at these athletes, and you know they're signed to Jordan, and they love Jordan. Um, there's only you know 317 on the, of these cards, so how many athletes would would love to have the mint 10 Jordan rookie? Um, you know, I had five of those, and I, I sold a few to some friends just to kind of get them excited about it. Of course, you're always kicking yourself, um, but I'm excited that they, these guys got in. But you know, I think that one's got. Just because you've you've got these athletes making so much money and, and they love Jordan, they've got to have that card. Personally, I like more rare things. And you know, if you look at guys breaking these 1986 um, Fleer boxes open, the pop report's going and it continue to rise. So I bought a 1984 Star 101 card, 
uh, and a PSA grade. So the reason why that was is, you know, that could be his, his real rookie in addition to the Fleer. Obviously, I love the Fleer. But PSA only graded nine of them, you know, years and years ago. They couldn't tell the difference between counterfeit or Winstar uh, made these or printed these cards. And so they said, hey, we can't tell. We're, we're not going to grade these things. But before they did, they graded nine cards. So that for me was, you know, the rare play, the small population report, and the pop will not rise. You know, it's not right. like they're going to grade it again. So that to me is, is the kind of stuff that I really love and think is super cool because it's not a Beckett 9 in my eyes, you know, or a Beckett 8. It's, it's a PSA 8. The, the 9, I think, has qualifiers that PSA graded a 9, but it's got a qualifier. So it's the highest grade. And for me, it's I don't care about the quality as far as, you know, what is, is an SCC eight or whatever it's not the value of that i like it because psa only graded nine and that to me is the pop report on, on that so that's why that i like the cool kind of rare things that's an incredible card i actually personally have never seen even an, an image of a psa graded 84 star so i mean you obviously see the the beckett's not like all the time but like frequently um that that's incredible and what did you have worries about it being counterfeit because obviously they stopped grading because of that problem but do you know, did they take some of those off the market that were counterfeits or did you have that checked out by maybe an expert that has worked in the Jordan 84 star market a lot? So I bought it through a, a major auction company. Um, and then I also spoke to PSA about it. Um, it's, it's on their website, um, pictures and things. But I also reached out to the, the auction site and said, hey, is this counterfeit? This is great. You know, this is obviously super rare. So it all checked out. Um after I asked PSA if they would recase it because it's in the original case, mm -hmm. and they said, uh, no, we won't, we won't recase it because um, wow. we trade those cards. But, um, but yeah, definitely had it checked out. I was that, that's, in, that's incredible because that kind of tells me that there is no plans at grading these. You know, like they, they grade all that they graded. And with that, them saying that we won't recase it, that's almost like, you know, just saying we're not going to grade anymore in the future, at least, you know, near future. So that's really cool. And what do you say that's your most valuable basketball card? Is that, that PSA 8, like non-existent Jordan 84? I think that's the coolest, rarest. It's, it's not the most valuable from a, a market standpoint, um, but it's really, you know, in the past, it hasn't been the most valuable. But me personally, I think it's more valuable than you know a 317 pop jordan 1986 fleer um just to me but you know i, I definitely love that card as well um, right and that that jordan 8 that you have it tells a story and that's where really value comes in a lot of this is like what's the story behind the card not to say there's not stories behind 86 fleer jordans but a lot more behind a psa 884 star that you'll really never see again that's, yeah, that's crazy yeah. it's really really cool all right, so transitioning a bit into some market talk, what do you think is going to go on with the sports car market in terms of big money? I think recently recently we've seen more big money come into the card market, meaning companies, individuals, influencers, whatever you want to name it, over the last year than we've ever seen in the sports car market ever. Uh, how do you think that's going to alter the market, and do you foresee this to continue in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, you know, I think it's being recognized as a new asset class. You know, it's always been that. You know, it's it's um, it's outpaced the S and P five hundred, which is incredible. But I think more and more people are realizing that you know art could be counterfeit now that there's there's technology behind cards, you know, grading systems and, and all these different things, and more and more technology coming in. I think it'll continue to rise um, for the long haul. And you know, there's. There's people that are speculating, is it a bubble? Is it not a bubble? Is it going to go away after the vaccine comes out? 
I've analyzed the data tremendously. You know, I looked at 2016, we, there was a pop in the, in the values and then it dropped a little bit. You know, this is completely different um, than I've seen in the past, you know, really diving into the market. And um, because of it, I definitely see this as a, as a long-term asset class and um, will continue to rise and more and more people will come in and therefore more demand and, and same supply and the prices just continue to go up, basic economics. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've heard recently uh, someone on Instagram by the name of Patrick Ryan. Uh, he's he's very into the high-end market as well. But he was talking about cards are, and you've talked about too, are right in there with the art now. You know, art, rare art doesn't go down value because the people out there who collect it, they'll keep setting new records for that art. Are you, do you think we're there with rare basketball cards, rare baseball cards, um, low-grade vintage cards, whatever it is, that we're really just going to start to see record after record after record? Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if you see my record broke uh, in the near future. I mean, you know, and honestly, I think that's great. It just continues to drive the market, um, keep us in the news, and and, and um, grow these this hobby. But yeah, I, I think they'll continue to rise. You know, I didn't buy this card. You know, to, you know, you you want to make sure that you're putting five point two million dollars into something that you also see growth. And you know, just like and any art piece that I buy, I buy it because I love it. But you also buy it because it's going to go up in value. Right. Absolutely. So this is almost a 180 at this point. But it's an honor to have you on the show. And I, I've never talked to someone who's been this big into a certain card in their life. I mean, obviously, you're not the biggest owner of a sports card. How do you see companies out there, manufacturers, tailoring to people that have low budgets? Um, you know, we really need that big money, those big companies coming in to help drive the market forward. But we got to remember all the people that, you know, just start out with no money. Like myself, when I was a kid, you know, I've really built this from the ground up. Like, how, how do you foresee that as someone who is, you know, at the top in terms of value? You know, how do, you, how do we keep that in mind and how do card companies really drive it forward so we can keep on building for generations to come versus, just having a ton of big money coming in, which drives it, and then not losing the you know the lifeline of the the collector. You've got to keep the young guys and the people without money, you know, just like you or just like me. I mean, when I got in, I had absolutely no money. I didn't come from a, a wealthy family, and so you know you have to you have to keep those guys in. So that's where I think you know making sure that packs don't become too expensive, and making sure that packs are available to those those young kids, you know, that they don't just sell out online so fast that no one can get them. And, and then you're, they're reselling it on the aftermarket for, you know, three X. Yep. Um, I think, you know, these people are making a lot of money doing that, but you, you, you're right. You have to keep the opportunity for young guys to stay in or people without tons of money to be, to stay in the game. Absolutely. And the, the way that I got involved was just right through that. When I was a kid in middle school and high school, I'd go to Target, buy a pack. I buy a pack. I learned the card. I learned the card. I flipped it on eBay. And then that just kept on going and going and going. And that really is the biggest entry point for young people. And if they don't have a dad that can go out there and afford boxes or packs or can afford even sports card singles at this point, it just kind of cuts them out. And, you know, and, and I heard you say, you know, the, the online retail, it makes no sense to me. Why is Target or Walmart dropping retail product online where bots will just buy it up and people resell it. Like, why is that retail product not held for in-store? There's not enough in the store anyways. Um, do three waves of a release where you keep product behind the cash register. It's got to be approved by employees, whatever it has to be. There's got to be some changes. I'd love to get in and help some companies 
further those changes because you know do you I, see I those those packs at let's say Walmart. Do you think like the baseball that they had there? I mean, is that do you think those are valuable packs? Would you buy those? I mean, do you recommend those to your audience? Yeah. So like right now, you there's de- it definitely is set dependent in baseball and basketball. It seems like anything that drops retail, it's gone. You know, in like two days, a day, less than a day, whatever it might be. Twenty twenty tops update. Baseball was the newest baseball release. Twenty twenty one top series one is coming in the next within the next like two weeks actually. Uh, 2020 tops update was a pretty bad checklist. I'd say there, you know, with the co- with COVID and the delays on prospects and getting called up and stuff, they did not get like any new rookies into that set. So that stuff has sat on shelves a lot and that's great. You know, that that's great. I'm glad that they didn't have the most loaded checklist then because it just all be scooped up again. And it actually does give people a chance to get it at retail, but I think 2021 top series one, we're going to see a similar thing happening where people are going to jump in and pick all those up. Uh, Nate, our baseball guy has been talking about this checklist being one of the deepest that we've seen in series one last year, 2020 top series one was loaded with the top five talents out of the checklist, but series one this year will definitely be a, a super deep class. and will probably be scooped up as well. Um, I'd love for tops, you know, find a way, even if it is like pop-up shops, like a way that tops themselves, not even through retailers can get out there and put up little shops around the country that people can go to and get packs at. That's more of a direct regulated method because tops is sitting there, you know, one pack per person, whatever it might be. When does that come out? Uh, 2020 series one, it was for sure the first few weeks in February. I want to say I don't have a direct date, but I think it's in the, the first couple weeks of February. Got it. Yeah, de- definitely a, a set to look into for those of you that are up there looking to get into a new baseball set with the baseball season coming. Um, this is the time when you can actually pick up those prospects, those new rookies before they start playing and you know, people get on them. And I, I will say this, you know, now more than ever, as grading has become a bigger thing, of course, you know, constantly being uh, confirmed by your huge Mickey Mantle sale. These cards are going to be scooped up so fast off the secondary market, like big lots of rookie cards that people don't actually take the time to grade. People are going to be stacking these cards like crazy, saying to PSA. But we'll see. It'll be interesting because PSA, you know, it has has increased some of their prices, has shut down a few service levels to try to, you know, catch up on that backlog. It'll be interesting to see um, if, you know, people will actually be sending all those rookie cards to PSA like they normally would, or is it just not cost effective anymore? Uh, right. So that's an interesting way too to to handle demand. It, for PSA standpoint, is like, do we raise cost? Do we shut down some service levels? How do we catch up on the backlog? Of course, there's a big pending sale, which might or might not go through at this point for PSA selling to Nat Turner and the investment group. I want to bring that up really quick because I do think myself that was the biggest sports car news of 2020. And if that sale goes through, it'll alter the market for forever. What are your thoughts on that sale to Nat Turner and Steve Cohen and that investor group? Will it go through? And if it does go through, how do you foresee that playing out in the market? Yeah, I mean, I hope it goes through. I think they they do have a lot of bottlenecks. Um, you know, the timing that it takes for them to get things created, I think, needs to be fixed. They, it can add a lot of automation and, and fix that. So I, I hope that these guys can figure it out and, and it makes that business that much better. Um, because again, the more money that comes from the hobby from a technology standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, I think it's it's uh, it's really great. Well, I, I I'm full in the belief that, that you know Nat Turner having a tech background and all that going on, you know you you bring some type of automation to the grading process. It might not even be strictly grading the cards to start, but every process outside of grading the cards, if automation comes in, it'll speed up the delivery times, the grading times, and hopefully even cut down the cost to the end consumer if you know you can cut costs big with automation once you actually get it perfected. So that'd be really cool, I think, to see. Yeah, I agree. 
Awesome. All right. So wrapping up here through the next few minutes, I want to hear where do you think your place is in the market? Do you do you think it's you know going about doing these these types of deals with the Mickey Mantle and different cards? Do you think you're going to try to take more of you know a public presence in the market? Because honestly, like I, I did not hear of you until you bought the Mantle, and and that's probably because you are operating since August in silence. I'd say you know like you know I, I didn't even see a sale about the PSA eight Star eighty four ever. I know that it was the Republic Auction House, but you know, not not something that's really reported on. Where do you, where do you think your spot in the market is, and how do you want to help further the market going forward? Yeah, initially I was very quiet. You know, I bought uh, Babe Ruth rookies and different things that the cards have been written about, but you know, I was very silent. This one, you know, it kind of just went crazy. So you know, the cat's out of the bag. Um, but you know, I, I definitely love the industry. I want to see it thrive. I think there's a lot of things that I can add to it. So yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm definitely working on ways to be more heavily involved, and would would love to do that. I mean, if you can do what you love, it's it's not really work. And I definitely love this hobby and, and love where it's going. And um, yeah, I would love to be more involved. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's can't really put it any way better than that. I love it. I get to do this for. A job they say but uh it's an absolute blast and last and final question 2021 chicago end of july beginning of august the national sports collectors convention are you going to be there and will we see you at the slab stocks booth let's do it i'm in Uh, i've never been so i would i would love to go you 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 gotta go man it's it's by far the best in-person experience you'll ever have in sports cars this will be my fifth time going my second time holding a booth there and uh it's it's insane last year or I guess in 2019, because 2020 was canceled, there was over 100,000 people attending over the five days. I would not be surprised if it's over 500,000 people attending over the five days at this one. That's two years of pent-up demand that's going to be showing up. and That's incredible. Are prices cheaper there, or why do people go? So people go for the networking, the you know personal relationship building there, just being a part of something. In terms of prices being cheaper, in the past, you would see a lot of people like, way overcharging and if they are overcharging people generally just walk past their booth you won't convert many sales the people that go in there with the mindset that i paid this much for a booth i'd have to pay this much in ebay fees or whatever their platform selling fees if i were to sell online and price their cards accordingly they kick butt there there's so much money in traded hands there and i'll tell you this when i went this was in i think 2017 i was in chicago i walked into the show on wednesday night the very first day and right in front of me, the very first booth I went to, I saw a $25,000 cash deal go down for a Mike Trout Bone Chrome Gold Refractor Auto BGS 9.5. And you being in the high-end market, you probably know how much a 9.5 Gold Refractor Trout Autograph is worth now. You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably half a million dollars. Um, it was the largest deal I've ever seen in my life go down in person. That was in 2017. Imagine 2021. What type of cash is going to be trading hands there? Yeah. Hopefully, I get some good deals. You got to get there. And I'm sure there will be people that will be actually willing to sell more. It's going to be a much more competitive environment now versus the last two years ago, three years ago, because of the amount that people have to fight for the money that's in the room. You know, like people are going to spend money with people that are giving good deals. And if you're not giving good deals, you're not selling cards. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. It'll be a blast. And I hope to see you there. I'm sure that the entire industry does as well. There's going to be a lot of people coming, a lot of people coming. I can't wait. I'll definitely be there. It's in Uh, July. What? I'll be there for sure. Awesome. Good. Well, I'd love to meet you there, and I'm sure Nate would too in our team. But all right, I actually thought of one more question to end yeah. up because there's a lot of talk here um, recently about this. Where do you see athletes place in the market? 
How many athletes do you think are going to get involved? Do you think it's going to be all sports, just basketball? Just what's your thoughts on it? No, I, I, that's where I see this this market continuously driving forward because I do see athletes coming in. They, they're already in. You have celebrities coming in on a daily basis and uh, and athletes because you think about it. For me, these athletes are essentially in the individual venture capitalists. You know, they make a massive amount of money. They've got a lot of money, and and now they're able to invest in something that they love and they know more about than anybody else. Um, so I do think they're going to come in if they're smart, they should come in because again, they do know it. It's like investing in companies. And I, that's where I think vintage is important because if I'm a baseball player, I'm not going to buy, you know, my competitors, I'm going to buy myself and I'm going to buy the legends. And that's where I think Mickey makes total sense. Um, or Jordan, you know, I think both those guys, you know, you look at the, the iconic players and, um, yeah, they should come in. That's a great take. And the one that really opened my eyes, it wasn't LeBron. It wasn't Giannis showing his PC of maybe the cards that he never sent back to Panini, but it was Hassan Whiteside. He, he put up a video of investing in Gary Trent Jr. and TRPAs, rare prison cards. Like that was the biggest eye opener to me because this is some guy who isn't, you know, top 10 player, but he's just a guy that knows about cards that's investing in his teammate and the cards yeah. that matter too. It's not like that he had some guys send him some random, uh, you know, Red, white, and blue prism, or something like he had legit NTRPAs numbered out 99. So I think there's just going to be a lot more of that coming in the future. And I think it's going to be a great, great way yep. to get more people involved too. The more the athletes can share, share their voice in the space. I agree 100%. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching. Rob, thank you so much for joining me. It's an absolute blessing to have you on here to talk about your huge purchase and what you just think about the market. Cause I think that's even, you know, maybe more important is how people like you view the market and how you view getting more people involved. Cause for us, you know, we, we just want to make sports cards accessible to everyone. And, you know, if not, if we don't have a lot of people buying into, into that, it'll be hard to further that mission. So thank you, Rob, for being one of those people. I appreciate you a lot and I hope to see you soon. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Thank you, Rob. And thank you everyone for watching. We will talk to you again in the next episode.